So we start a fire. I start a fire and there was in someone's yard and there was just a lot of uh, dry leaves. Yeah. And uh, it just gets a little crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it gets a little crazy uh, real fast. Okay. Didn't know that yeah. about fires. And I'm wearing these pants. I remember I'm wearing like these sweatpants, but they're like, <laughs> they're like almost. They're I like MC Hammer pants. They are. Yeah, they are. New joke. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It was the 90s. Yeah. And then I forget, like it, it was a different, it wasn't corduroy. The most flammable pants. It was the most flammable pants ever. Yes, it definitely <laughs> was. Hey everyone, welcome to Wiki University, a show that dives down the rabbit hole of Wikipedia in an effort to explore the sum of all human knowledge. I'm your host, Kyle Berseth, and as always, I'm joined today by my good friend and top student at WikiU, Jason Nunez. On this episode, we took a trip to the 90s to explore the life and career of Mel Gibson and went all the way to a historical event in the Midwest, the Great Chicago Fire. All right, let's get started. I'm well, let's start by introducing your topic. I see uh, we got Zoom up here, and I see I see this handsome fella behind you. Yeah, I I've loved Mel Gibson for so long. You see his hair on this one too. I used to do. Well, my uncle used to do it too. He used to. Well, he had shorter hair, but he used to do like the little like Superman little swirl. Like, ah, oh, I can't keep this hair down. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we always. So I used to do that too. Um, it was a good look. It was a night. It was a classic '90s look. Oh yeah, you got to get that little bounce there. Yeah, yeah. So I was all about that. How do you like it? Should I? Should I rock? Dude, that? you should rock it. Whoa. I'm, oh, it's Mel Gibson. We have Mel Gibson in the studio. <laughs> okay, so you you're just a big Mel Gibson fan. I'm a or huge, were? Are you still oh, on I'm his still, side? I am Team Gibson all day and night. Okay. I, I discovered him, and like most people, um, I believe like through like Mad Max kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Those are those are awesome. I never knew about the mad max movies until much later in life like really? i i knew mel gibson from all the lethal, lethal weapons Weapon movies, yeah. of course yeah, yeah yeah um oh and i really liked him in what was the movie with jodie foster where he was playing cards poker I loved it. okay that's one of my favorite movies what Child- was that maverick. Movie? maverick maverick yes i thought it was so funny Dude, I, I thought he was just yes, great yes in that. yes yes i'm all i thought it was one of the coolest movies like ever like i didn't and you have to understand i wasn't into like to me that was like a western like i'd never seen anything yeah, like that definitely a western like it wasn't yeah. like i i didn't like westerns i'd never really like seen a full-fledged western um so it was just a surprise to me that i enjoyed it so much because it was like it wasn't action it wasn't the type of 80s action that i've seen all my life uh and it wasn't like a raunchy comedy it wasn't like you know, you didn't see like um, you didn't see boob, you didn't see some titties in there or anything. No, they were just pressed up with the, with the uh, corset. Corset, that's right. Tastefully done, super tastefully. And it was almost like it felt to me like it was like almost an epic movie. I guess maybe I didn't realize at the time. I really saw like the the first act, second act, and third act. I guess I just kind of really yeah. to me it was like a big movie. I was like, it felt like it should have ended somewhere, and then it kept going, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. But I kind of enjoyed it. 
because I like the movie so much. I wanted to see more Mel Gibson, more of his dad, more of their. I wanted to see more Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster was great in that. Yeah, I thought she was so. I funny. hadn't seen her in a comedic yeah. role. Yeah, 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 I thought she was and so funny. And then they like made the Native Americans funny. Like the Native Americans were taking the dude out, the Russian dude out hunting. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah. Just like scamming him, yeah. I thought that was that hilarious. Was, yep, yep. I thought that was perfect. The in, the Native American dude, he was from. Uh, I remember him from Free Willy. All right. Well, he's not our topic today. <laughs> <laughs> our topic is Mel Gibson. Your topic is Mel Gibson and Mavericks. Mel Gibson. Uh so we'll start with Mel Gibson, and we're gonna go to my topic, which is the Great Chicago Fire. Which coincidentally, I think Mel Gibson caused. He started it. I think. Yeah. They initially blamed it on a cow yeah, kicking over a lantern, but then they later found out it was Mel Gibson. Definitely. Who kicked the cow. And he filmed it, yeah. too. And by the way, <laughs> very cinematic. Beautiful fire. Beautiful shot. Beautiful shots. All that shit aside, who's not a fan of his art? Like, the, 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 bro, is, the bro is skilled. As insane as he is, he is skilled as at at what he does. All right, let's let's let, let me just tell you real quick about the Great Chicago Fire. I don't think there's much to know in order to get to it other than Chicago. I think we can try to get to Chicago and get to the big fire and that's what they're known for, but let me just read you briefly so we know what time it took place. Uh we know Mel Gibson started it. So yeah. the Great Chicago Fire was a conflagration that burned in the American city of Chicago during October 8th through 10th in 1871, so just after the Civil War. The fire killed approximately 300 people, destroying roughly 3.3 square miles of the city and left more than 100,000 residents homeless. Uh, 1871, it leapt over the Chicago River... And what year was it again? That's a hell of a fire. That is a cinematic fire. It's jumping rivers. That's that's a Mel Gibson fire. It blockbuster fire. <laughs> Definitely a blockbuster fire right there. Yeah, that's insane. I guess. I mean, that's pretty. For some reason, I had it in my head that it was like, um, like in the 1900s. No, it was when everything was built from wood. Ah, okay. Chicago is known for its skyscrapers. That's one of the places uh, skyscrapers originated. Huh. And I want to say they started around like right around 1900, maybe a little before, a little after. And, you know, that's all steel and wood, wood skyscrapers. No, not wood skyscrapers. Not, not wood skyscrapers. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's let's start with Mel Gibson here. Let's do it. All right. I mean, they really are. They're really messing with my reading right off the bat. With his middle name. Uh, what year was this beautiful man born and where? This man was born January 3rd, 1956, but his full name is Mel, Mel Colmseal Gerard Gibson. Colmseal, that sounds French. Gerard Gibson is a good name too. Good actor name. Yeah, that would have been a fine name after he had the whole... Yeah, he should have just changed uh, his name. That's right. Yeah. He should have gone with Gerard after the, after the phone call. No one would have known. No <laughs> No uh, Mel Gibson uh, is an American actor and filmmaker. He is best known for his action hero roles, particularly his breakout role as, do you know Mad Max's last name? Um, No. His breakout role as Max Rakotansky. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, I, I don't remember it like that. In the first three films of the post-apocalyptic action series Mad Max, 
And as Martin Riggs in the buddy cop film series Lethal Weapon. Yeah. And Maverick. I'm getting too old for this shit. It's <laughs> exactly, yeah. That's exactly what everyone said when uh, Chicago was in on fire. I think Danny Glover was hauling water. Yeah. <laughs> he said that. All right. Uh, he was actually born in New York. I always thought he was Australian. Oh, he's a New Yorker. Born in Peekskill, New York, and Gibson moved with his parents to Sydney, Australia when he was 12 years old. He studied acting at the National Institute of Dramatic Art, where he starred opposite Judy Davis in a production of Romeo and Juliet. During the 1980s, he founded Icon Entertainment, a production company which independent film director Atom Egoyan has called, quote-unquote, an alternative to the studio system. So what are you interested in here, Jason? Should we... Maverick. You want to go to Maverick? Yeah. We just talked about Maverick for 10 minutes. Yeah, let's get in some more Maverick. Let's get to Jodie Foster. I think that's one of her greatest roles. And you're right. And thank you for reminding me because she's so funny in that. Oh, yeah. She's great. All right. The Bounty, Lethal Weapon series, Hamlet, Braveheart, Passion of the Christ. How is Maverick not the biggest? Maverick's great. Have you seen Edge of Darkness? We can't just bounce around from. We got to focus here, Jason. It's still Mel Gibson. I haven't seen Edge of Darkness. Oh, you you got to see it. You got to see it. (laughs) <laughs> fuck why are we even doing I, this you haven't even seen it i know it's like it's like i'm trying to learn about mel gibson all i can see regarding maverick this is so infuriating gibson starred in the beaver a domestic drama oh, about yeah. a depressed alcoholic directed Ugh. he played a depressed alcoholic big stretch <laughs> directed by former maverick co-star jodie foster the hey. beaver premiered at the south by southwest Film Festival in Austin, Texas, uh, March 16th, 2011. I heard it was actually pretty solid. You know, I'm actually going to watch that just because Jodie Foster directed it. Oh, here we go. Before its release, much of the coverage focused on the unavoidable association between the protagonist's issues and Mel Gibson's own well-publicized personal and legal problems. Oh, I could go down to alcohol abuse and legal issues if you want to find out. Yeah, let's get feisty. Hey, man. Let's get let's get feisty. <laughs> we're, oh. an op- we're an open book here at Wikipedia. This might this might be sad, man. I don't know. Let's get sad. There's a bunch of sad people out there. They're probably listening to a podcast. Yeah, if they're listening to this podcast, they're sad. Alcohol abuse and legal issues. Gibson has said that he started drinking at the age of thirteen. Damn. It's pretty early. I mean, I've I had my first taste at thirteen. Well, no, probably earlier than that. But I didn't start drinking at thirteen. When did you? When did you start? I didn't drink like um, until I was after twenty-one. Oh, you didn't? You didn't drink in high school. You were all about running. All about running. Yeah. Ah, uh, damn. I tasted alcohol maybe when I was like ten or something because Same. I accidentally took a sip of my dad's. It was like milk and Kahlua, and I thought it was. Yeah, that's heavy too. Like no, it's like a milkshake. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like heavy, like uh, like thicky. It's thick. hard. To- Harder alcohol, yeah, yeah, than like light beer or something. Sure, sure. And then the cops came and arrested my dad for <laughs> child abuse. Oh, your dad's Mel Gibson. It changed my it changed my childhood. <laughs> In a 2002 interview about his time at 
NIDA, which I think is the National Institute of something Academy. Gibson said, I had really good highs, but some very low lows. I found out recently I'm a manic depressive. He discovered that recently, huh? Yeah, well, in 2002. 1956 to 2002. <laughs> Whew. Well, I guess maybe he wasn't a manic depressive at like the age of one. What if he was? What if he was a manic depressive baby? That's a. I mean, that's a classic argument. Are you... Born a manic depressive, or are you raised a manic depressive? Mm. Nature versus nurture. nurture. Yeah. What do you think? I'm going nurture. I feel like you got to have it in you. I'm. I think I'm very lucky not to have that in me. Ah, yeah. You are. You're. Uh, you're Johnny Positive at all times. Hell yeah, baby. Because I look back and I'm just like, I didn't have a perfect childhood by any means. And yeah. looking back, I'm just like, yeah, I landed real. I, real nicely from what I came from. That's Maybe that's what helps you have perspective. I guess, but I've had a lot of like (laughs) terrible luck and like hardships where I'm just like, and at the same time, you know what's weird? It's always- (laughs) You're like, this could have been better. (laughs) Yeah, but at the same time, I've always had this weird theory and this goes for my brother too. Like my brother and I have this like weird luck. We just have this weird luck where like things kind of- like turn out fine at the end. And I feel like later whoa, on. Whoa, Jason. Whoa, whoa. Are you white? Are you white? I feel like it sometimes. It feels like it sometimes. <laughs> where I'm just like, you know what? Things are just going to work out. And then guess what? The world like kind of just makes it work out. And so I've just gone, I've gone through a lot of like, I think mental shit with just like, oh yeah, don't worry about it. Cause it's going to work out. Right. I use that same shit with like work sometimes. And that doesn't give me like, Oh, I'm not going to do anything because it's going to... No, I just mean like don't stress over it so much because no matter what, it's going to work out at the end. Like I just know... And that's also like a strange belief in myself where I'm just like... I remember doing this in high school when it's like something's due. Like, I mean, I remember reading... I had read a whole book in one night. That's always been my mentality where it's just like you just got to got you got to get it done. Procrastinate until you have the last moment to do it. Yeah. Beautiful. I read, you know that book, Night? The book Night by... Um, M. Night Shyamalan. By M. Night Shyamalan, yeah. I read it in one night. It was great. Night? Is that uh, Ellie Wiesel? Yeah. About yeah. the Jews? Yeah. Oh, Mel Gibson. It's his favorite book. <laughs> yeah, Mel Gibson wrote the foreword <laughs> to, uh, to Night. Speaking of. All right, let's get back to Mel Gibson and his legal issues. Uh, and I'm going to breeze through a couple here because long list. He's got a litany, if you will. He was banned from driving in Ontario, Canada for three months in 1984 after rear-ending a car in Toronto while under the influence of alcohol. Dude, I'm under the influence of Mel Gibson. He retreated to his Australian farm for over a year to recover, but he continued to struggle with drinking. Yeah, that's going to happen if you just go out to the country. In Australia? Like Wow. Despite this, he gained a reputation in Hollywood for professionalism and punctuality, such that frequent collaborator Richard Donner was shocked when Mel Gibson confided that he was drinking five pints of beer for breakfast. Damn. Uh, it, he contemplated suicide in his mid-30s. Uh, he meditated on Christ's passion to heal his wounds. He took more time off of acting in 1991 and sought professional help. Jeez, this is brutal. 
Um, he went to AA meetings in 1992. He provided financial support for Hollywood's Recovery Center, saying alcoholism is some t- something that runs in my family. It's something that's close to me. People do come back from it, and it's a miracle. Wait, when do, when did he really go bonkers? I mean, he started Mad Max. Like, that was one of his initial breakout roles. Yeah. You, you think somebody would have... Perfectly cast. <laughs> that and the beaver. And then also, uh, do we remember his greatest role, which is uh, Lethal Weapons? Oh, they by far. Rigged. The first Lethal Weapon is, like, super dark. It's like, he's about to kill himself in the first scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, like, eating the gun, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, like, crying and, like, putting that silver taste on his tongue. What a stretch. It was... But it was so funny, like, uh, you look back at that movie now. And oh, it's yeah, like, hilarious this when he had the gun in his <laughs> mouth. <laughs> it's it so was funny. so funny. <laughs> it was so funny. Looking back at this now, it's like, oh, wait, this guy is a cop? This is a mentally insane cop? <laughs> I can't believe that. I, it's so off base that a, that a cop would be mentally <laughs> unstable and maybe have a thirst for power. That's, like, so <laughs> off. So off base. That's why those movies now they don't they wouldn't hit. You know, it'd be so off base. They just wouldn't hit. Yeah, they don't hit. All the right, same. here's the big one. In July 2010, Gibson had recorded during a phone call with Oksana Georgieva, some some name, suggesting that if she got quote unquote raped by a pack of whoa, oh a pack. Jeez. She would be to blame. Gibson was barred from coming near her or their daughter due to a domestic violence-related restraining order. The Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department launched a domestic violence investigation against Gibson, later dropped when Gibson pleaded no contest to a misdemeanor battery charge. Oof. So this is the guy you look up to, huh, Jason? Can I can I play devil's advocate here? Yeah, yeah. No, defend defend the raped by pack of <laughs> gone, gone. Look, look, I you okay, you guys are like what about that last part that he said after that? Which part? You just read it to me. What he said to her. Suggesting that if she got raped by a pack, she would be to blame. Okay, that part right there. See She would be she to would blame. Be to, right. Now, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that it's a little bit more progressive that he blames her and not and not the pack. I'm not saying that's right. <laughs> he, set up, saying- he set up a hypothetical rape situation where he used the N-word and also victim blamed in the same sentence. But in the scenario in the hypothetical scenario, he had no beef. With the pack. That's, well, I, th- I think at this point he was pretty over her, so. I think it takes time for a man to grow. Yeah, in some cases their entire life. Whoa, 1985 Gibson was named the sexiest man alive by people. Should we go to sexiest man alive? Yeah, in 85? 1985. He was the first one, that was the first year they gave it out. Oh, okay. And and it's probably, it's probably, does he look like this, like the picture that I have? I They don't have the picture here. Oh. I went to Sexiest Man Alive. Oh, it took me to People Magazine, but there's a sub-article of Sexiest Man Alive. Let me guess, they've gotten criticism for it in recent years. For objectifying men. It's like, how come, no, no, they've gone, in, they've gone in trouble because a woman hasn't been on the cover. 
of sexiest man alive. <laughs> the sexiest yeah. man guarantee alive. Guarantee you. Guarantee you. Guarantee you there's been a think piece. I was fast forwarding to see if they had given it to Caitlyn Jenner. They did not. Caitlyn Jenner got something though. A dick. <laughs> or, or no. <laughs> I mean a clit? I don't know it. <laughs> you got that? I don't know. Something something came off or came on. I forget. Yeah, who who could even keep track of that? All right. Let's start bouncing around a little bit here. Uh the annual feature, the sexiest man alive, is billed as a benchmark of male attractiveness and typically includes only famous people and celebrities. It is determined using a procedure similar to the procedure used for Times Person of the Year. I I would love to see the breakdown yeah, of that Yeah, that's procedure. just some bullshit because People Magazine isn't as prestigious as Time. And Time's shit now anyways, but like, they're just like, oh, we use the same algorithm as Time does. They weren't using algorithms. You know, they yeah, were their like, system, whatever, their point system. They had a scale and they're like, bonability, does he cuddle me after? Yeah, like, where does he look shirtless? How much money? How many movies have been blockbusters or music or whatever it may be? Well, here we go. The origin of the title was a discussion on a planned story on Mel Gibson. Someone exclaimed, oh my God, he is the sexiest man alive. And someone else said, you should use that as a cover line. Hey, I'm going to start putting out Jason's sexiest uh, woman alive. Do it. Yeah. How, how, how would they like a taste of their own medicine? People. How would, <laughs> how would people like a taste of their own medicine? You're going to title it People's Jason's Sexiest <laughs> Woman Alive. <laughs> yeah, Jason's People's. It's me on the cover every year. Jason wins again. Quite the <laughs> algorithm. Hey, I'm using the same algorithm that Time does to judge their person of the year. So. All right. Originally awarded in the winter time, it shifted around the calendar, resulting in gaps as short as seven months and as long as a year and a half, with no selection at all during 1994. Ooh, what? 21 years later, the magazine did select Keanu Reeves to fill the 1994 gap. With runners-up Hugh Grant and Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey? Sexiest man alive? Keanu could win it again this fucking year. I would love to see if somebody has won it. Double? Yeah, I bet Clooney has. 100% Clooney has. Johnny Depp won it in 2003 and 2009. Clooney won it twice. 97 and 2006. Two decades. That's beautiful. Yeah, one for ER and then the other probably for like Ocean's Eleven and stuff. Well, you don't win it for ER or Ocean's Eleven. It's a whole know, compilation you, of scores like, and facts and figures it's compared peak, to though. Times Person. But why? Of the year. But because of the peak being like Ocean's Eleven and then in the 90s ER. Should we go to George Clooney? Yeah. Was he born in Chicago? Or I don't want to just hop around sexy men. We might need to. I do. Oh, yeah. ER took place in Chicago. Let's, let's do it. Let's just. Told you. Uh, genius, Jason. ER, Genius. Baby. Hey, beautiful men can only lead you. To great fires. Through great fires, yeah. God, this man's on fire. Whew. What a smoke show for a 59-year-old. That's another good movie with another uh, with another sexiest man alive, uh, Denzel Washington. Man on fire? Yeah. Did Denzel Washington ever- 100% sure, and if not, this world is not correct. Oh, he won 96. He might be one of the only minorities to you, win you Sexiest Man Alive. You can't have- And it sounds like People Magazine might have a certain- 
uh, Mel Gibson score factor in their scoring, if yeah. you know what I'm yeah, saying. The Mel Gibson score. Like, Mel Gibson also judges. He gets final say on men. On men. <laughs> right. Since he was the first one, he gets like final say on men of the year. These are all white dudes other than Idris Elba. Oh, I bet oh. Idris Elba got it recently. Look at this. Yeah. Um, People Magazine is really trying to make up for things lately. The last two years, Idris Elba and John Legend won Sexiest Men Alive. Yeah, there's this Asian dude who's who's ripped, bro. I think he was in the first Fast and the Furious. And I just feel like if he would have, if he got some bigger movies, if he was more in the spotlight, like he'll get that. This dude is like cut, bro. He's like. Asian Brad Pitt, like, but like young Brad Pitt, like Legends of the Fall Brad Pitt. I forget, I forget the guy's name, but I don't think of Brad Pitt as like cut, well, like, like muscle bound. He's like sinewy. No, but cut. Like, cut means like skinny cut, tone? like tone. Oh, yeah, okay. cut has nothing to oh, be I'm about like, strength. No, you're not cut, my friend. I'm cut, dude. You can get cut up. I know that. You can get cut up real nice. I'm cut up. You can get chopped up real nice, Kyle. Okay, you sound like Mel Gibson right now. You're just you're lacking a couple other words, but you're gonna drop a. You deserve it, Kyle. And all right, here we go. George Timothy Clooney is an American actor, film producer, director, and activist. He is the recipient of three Golden Globe awards and two Academy Awards, one for acting in Syriana and the other for co-producing Argo. In 2018, he was the recipient of the AFL Lifetime Achievement Award. Here we go. Clooney made his acting debut on television in 1978 and later gained wide recognition in his role as Dr. Smoke Show Doug Ross on the medical drama ER from 1994 to 1999. Dr. Smoke Show? Dr. Smoke Show Doug Ross. It said it on his diploma. Um... <laughs> He received two primetime Emmy Award nominations. And then while working on ER, he also did From Dust Till Dawn. Oh, great movie. Out of Sight. I don't do you remember Out of Sight? I do. It's each I gotta watch it again. It's actually I think a really that was good him movie. and J Lo? Yeah. I think or was it Catherine Zeta Jones? No, it's, it's J Lo. And I remember there was a scene of her like in a trunk. I think she was going under lasers or something. No, that's entrapment, just, you idiot. <laughs> That's Catherine Zeta Jones. That's what you were thinking. You you just couldn't oh, like right. you just couldn't let go of that ass. That's all. I was like fifteen at the time, fourteen. That was perfect timing for me. But yeah, that was entrapment, and that was the only good part of that movie. Oh, all right. Well, I'm glad that's the part I remembered. Yeah, when she was slinking through, when Catherine Zeta Jones was slinking through lasers to not get uh, caught stealing something, to not get entrapped, to not get entrapped. It was uh, that was the best part. Yeah. All right. Should I just hop to Doug Ross or ER? Yeah, yeah, I thought you were already on ER. Or do you want to know more about George Clooney? Nah, Sexiest Man Alive, I get it. He's white. Come on, let's go. All right. ER is an American medical drama television series created by novelist and medical doctor Michael Crichton. That I didn't know he was a doctor. I didn't know he was a I didn't know it was Michael Crichton. Same guy who wrote uh Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park and Drama Strain, um the Abyss thing or something like that. The Scooter, guy writes good I books. Know, I don't remember. I should check it oh, out. Oh, he writes a lot of books. You want me to check out Michael Crichton? No, I want you to check out <laughs> Chicago. It's too late. I already went. <laughs> no, go to the show. Go to ER. It aired on NBC from September 19th, 1994 until April 2nd, 1990 or 2009. What a run. That's a good run. 
331 episodes spanning 15 seasons. It was produced by, it doesn't matter, Anne Boleyn Television. I think that's Steven Spielberg. God, that guy's rich. Got his fingers and everything. Everything. ER follows the inner life of the emergency room of fictional County General Hospital in Chicago, Illinois. Nice. And do you pronounce the S at the end of Illinois? Or do you say Illinois or Illinois? I think I... Chicago, Illinois. I think it's just Illinois. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I've ever... Silent S. Honestly, I very rarely... Uh, the word Illinois or Illinois is rarely comes out of my mouth, so... I do all my S's silently. Yeah. <laughs> here, we get, here we go. This is this sentence. How do you say my name? Sl- <laughs> <laughs> What's... <laughs> J- Jahan? <laughs> yeah, I guess Jahan? so. Jahan? Anyway... All right. Uh, Various critical issues faced by the room's physicians and staff. The show is the second longest running primetime medical drama in American television history behind Grey's Anatomy and the fifth longest medical drama across the globe behind some BBC bullshit and some Poland show, which, I mean, did they even count? It won 23 Primetime Emmy Awards, including the 1996 Outstanding Drama Series Award and received 124 Emmy nominations. Damn. It won 116 awards in total, including a Peabody, blah, 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 grossed over $3 billion in television revenue. All right, should we just go to Chicago, or do you want to find out anything else about Chicago, baby. the show ER? The only thing is my cousin used to love it, but she only used to love it because of George Clooney. And uh, that's it. I never, I never watched it. Did you watch it? Yeah, I watched it pretty regularly. My mom watched it, so it was on. I never got into medical dramas up until Scrubs. Then Scrubs made it. Well, that's it. not a medical drama. That's a medical <laughs> comedy. So you could just say you never got into medical <laughs> no, dramas. No, it had drama in there. That was like the least funniest comedy that I used to watch. And it was still very fu- <laughs> and it was still very funny. Musical comedy doesn't count as drama. It's close. It's the same people, but it doesn't count. No, he it was it was drama. He like it gets sad sometimes and he like wraps it Someone dies. Wraps it up. They always wrap up with like a life lesson with... kind of thing. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. But they did it in a tolerable way because, like, I hated that full house, wrap it up, life lesson. This is what it means yeah. to be a family kind of uh, endings. I hated that. You were like, that is not what a family is. Yeah, it's not, it, yeah, it's not <laughs> real. That's why I loved um, uh, Married with Children so much. Oh, okay, yeah. It was super fun. It was funny, and it was, like, more real. Not real in the sense of, like... Sad. That, like, if that was a real family, that's a very terrible family. Yeah, but yeah, But I just yeah, mean yeah. they're they're absurd. They're playing things to yeah, the Yeah, same thing with, with Roseanne, I think. Oh, Roseanne's... Roseanne was super funny. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I liked Roseanne when I was little. It was a blue-collar show. Yeah. It was more realistic. It was more realistic. It was just like, yeah, I've gone yelled at. My, my mom has yelled at me before. That's what moms do. That's why Malcolm in the Middle was so good. Because the mom, oh, that show is great. Mom was just yelling all the time. It's like, oh yeah, I know what that's like. I used to get in trouble. I got in trouble <laughs> as a kid all the time. Like I used to be scared of my mom all the time. I used to keep secrets and do all this shit with my brother. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm Jayhan in the middle. I'm Jayhan in the middle. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, and then you take a look of um, I don't know those other shows like Full House, like Step by Step, Family Matters, Family Matters. the whole TGIF lineup. I mean, all yeah. right, let's not don't shit on Family Matters. That's a good show. I don't know what you're talking about. That's true. When uh, Urkel became a robot in a time machine and became Stefan, I was like, finally, a show I can relate to. 
<laughs> Once he had like a, a a sexy clone of his, I'm just like, all right, finally, this yeah, is something I can wrap my head around. It. Yeah, I gotta go back and see if Stefan Urkel was ever the sexiest man alive. Hey, if he because if he wasn't, he should have been. Yeah, he, he should have been. If like if he had no joke, I bet if he if Urkel did like a movie that was a hit, he would have gotten it that year. Because to have a show and a movie that's a hit. You would have gotten it. Well, similarly, I don't think I I could go back to the list, but I'm not going to. But I don't think Will Smith has gotten Sexiest Man Alive. I think he has. I think he has for sure. I'm willing to bet you he got it maybe like uh, around Bad Boys 2. I'm willing to bet you he didn't because when was Bad Boys 2? Like That was like 2002. No, maybe 2003. Possibly. Here's who got it in that time frame. Brad Pitt, Pierce Brosnan, Ben Affleck. Johnny Depp, Jude Law, Pierce Brosnan, though. I know. Oh, Every once in a while, a they actor. give it to an he's old a good actor. person. I, I respect him, but like, get out of here. That was that 1998. Was, they gave it to Harrison Ford. He was probably like 55 at that point. Yeah, they pushed it. See, that's that's where like their PR person came through, and it's like they pushed him. To get that. Speaking of the PR person, I didn't bring this up. Sorry, I did bounce back to this list because I had to. I had to shoot holes in your theory. 1993, they gave it to Richard Gere and Cindy Crawford, and they changed it to Sexiest Couple Alive. I didn't know there were a couple. Damn, where'd I go? Yeah, I think people people wanted it to work out. All right, I'm back on Chicago, Illinois. Let's do it. Let's get into Chicago. Yeah. All right, official Chicago officially. The city of Chicago is the most populous city in the U.S. state of Illinois and the third most populous city in the United States with an estimated population of 2,705,994. Oh, that's estimated? Why, when they say an estimated population, don't they give a nice round number? Yeah, if it's if it's an estimate, yeah. Ballpark it like a human. Yeah, it sounds like a quantum computer came up with that answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, It is also the most populous city in the Midwestern United States. Chicago is the county seat of Cook County, the second... Okay, blah. Do you know anybody in uh, Chicago? Do you have any friends or family? Uh, No good friends. I know some people. Uh, Enemies. (laughs) (laughs) I've never actually been to Chicago. I've been to most of the big cities in the U.S., but not Chicago. I'd like to go sometime. I've never been to Chicago either. I do have a friend from high school. Let's take a trip. And we'll do a Patreon episode of it. That'd be, <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome to pay off their costs. Uh, Liz's brother, Liz's brother lives there with his wife and kids. Oh, uh, he's yeah. a doctor, and he's a doctor. He's a doctor over there. And uh, and then I have a high school friend um, who I haven't talked to in a while, but she was she's super cool, and we were like good friends. And she lives in Chicago now. Let's go. I think we should go. Oh wait, there's like there's this whole global pandemic oh, happening. I, I honestly I. I would only go during the summer because I just I'm not about the cold, man. And and I would see I would go in spring or fall because I think it gets real hot in the summer. It's not a pleasant place to live, I don't think. Right or whatever it may be, where it's like the most comfortable temperature. That's when I want to go. I don't want to go. I'm thinking April, May. Yeah, they get all like they when when you get into the negatives. No, thank you. Why would you even live in that place? Right. So let's find out what the big draw is. Located on the shores of Freshwater Lake, Michigan, all right, waterfront, Chicago was incorporated as a city in 1837 near a portage between the Great Lakes and the Mississippi River watershed and grew rapidly in the mid-19th century. 
Chicago made noted contributions to urban planning and zoning standards, including new construction styles. Okay, let me get to, how about um, the 19th century? So that's, oh, here we go. Here's the Chicago fire. This was easy. Mel Gibson to the Great Chicago Fire. Of course it's e- it was easy. He caused it. We could it. have gone straight from him. <laughs> yeah, he was the cause of it and filmed it. Yeah. Blockbuster Fire. Blockbuster Fire. The Great Chicago Fire was a blockbuster fire that made $120 million <laughs> in the summer of 1871. It was a conflagration that burned in the American city of Chicago. Let's just get to the origin of the fire. Wait, so how did how did it start? Yeah. I'm telling you, the origin. I'm excited. That's what origin means, Jehan. Oh, is that what that means? The fire is claimed to have started at about 9 p.m. on October 8th in or around a small barn belonging to the O'Leary family that bordered the alley behind 137 DeCoven Street. The shed next to the barn was the first building to be consumed by the fire. City officials never determined the exact cause of the blaze, but the rapid spread of the fire due to a long drought in the prior summer, strong winds from the southwest, and the rapid destruction of the water pumping system explain the extensive damage of the mainly wooden city structures. So they had a drought, the pump system wasn't working, and they had winds. Jesus. Oh, boy. It's all just perfectly mixing. Yeah. It's uh, what's it called? Murphy's Law. Oh, yeah. Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law is also not necessarily a bad thing. It's just like, it's just, it could go either way. If it's a good thing, it's a good thing. If it's a bad thing, it's a bad thing. But it's just a habit. It's, it's like, just a good way to excuse everything. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, not my fault. It's Murphy's It's a good law. way to take science out of things. Yeah. And you know me, I'm no science man. Say, ah, Murphy's Law, what are you going to do? It is what it is. Murphy's Law. The most popular tale blames Mrs. O'Leary's cow who allegedly knocked over the lantern. I bet I bet that fire initially smelled delicious if that cow was in there. <laughs> That's so true. Like Like someone is someone cooking steaks? Let's go to the barbecue. Oh no, everything's on fire. Yeah, yeah. Like half an hour before your house is on fire, you like you walk outside and you're just like, Oh man, that smells good. Mrs. O'Leary's cooking up something good. Mmm. Yeah. I didn't get the invite. Others state that a group of men were gambling inside the barn and knocked over a lantern. Still, other speculations suggest that the blaze was related to other fires in the Midwest at that day. That's the most boring one. Yeah. The fire spread was aided by the city's use of wood as the predominant building material in a style called balloon frame. Now, just to give you a background about balloon framing, please. I've I've read all about this, and uh, is that about your butthole? It, balloon frame? Hmm. There's a fire in there. <laughs> there's. Oh, believe me, there's always a fire in your butthole. Burning desire within, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Um, with balloon framing, the fire burns behind the wall because there's nothing like in between the floors. So it's just burning behind the wall and you don't know it's burning until it's too late. And then the entire room like gets engulfed in flames. So Damn. balloon framing is illegal now. So explain that again, though. Like it was behind the wall. Basically now at every level or in between like studs on walls there's cross pieces and those are known as fire blocks and it prevents the fire from shooting up inside the wall okay gotcha gotcha because it has to burn that wood first 
So balloon framing went basically from the first floor to the top floor of the house. They used old timber and really long timber. So okay. it would burn all the and way up through the walls. First, and then the whole thing just comes down. The whole house would engulf Holy in flames. Shit. Yeah. And then you have that like where like the roof is on fire, that crazy Yeah, the whole That's it's like, like one of the scariest images. Oh like my God. that like being surrounded by fire like that, that's just so horrific. You know, fuck with fires. I started a fire when I was like ten or eleven. That was like half of my life when <laughs> I was ten was playing with yeah, fires. I love uh playing with lighters and matches. Uh I started a fire after school one day with a buddy or like two. No, I wouldn't say buddies because I didn't know him that well. It's just you're fire friends. You just you're just you're just fire we're buddies. Just fire friends. Yeah, we're not like real just friends. arsonists. Yeah. My arsonist friend. Yeah. And uh so we start a fire. I start a fire and there was in someone's yard and there was just a lot of uh dry leaves and uh yeah. I fr- it just gets a little crazy, right? yeah it gets a little crazy uh, real fast okay didn't know that about fires and i'm wearing these pants i remember i'm wearing like these sweatpants but they're like (laughs) they're like almost they're like mc hammer they are yeah they are new joke (laughs) yeah yeah. it was the 90s (laughs) yeah and then i forget like it it was a different it wasn't corduroy flammable pants it was the most flammable pants ever Yes, it definitely was. <laughs> and I start stomping. I start stomping on the fire to put it out. Right. At the same time, my friend who lives closer than I do, um, he's running back and forth uh, getting water. I remember he's bringing like just like a little cup of water. And I'm like, what are you doing? Bring more water. Bring a bucket. Bring the hose. Like, I'm just like, he's like, I'm getting too old for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> So I start just, I was like, I get so mad because he's not bringing like the proper, I'm like, look at the size of the fire and then look at what you're bringing me. Like, just like be not an idiot. Meanwhile, your pants are on fire. So I said, fuck it. I'm going to start stomping on it. So I start stomping on it and my shoes are okay. But then my pants start catching on fire. It's like the most, like you said, (laughs) the most flammable pants I could have bought. I could have worn to stomp out of fire. Yeah, they're uh, made out of like rayon. I think it really it was like it was it was crispy like at the end my pants almost like turned into shorts because they were like getting burnt <laughs> like it felt like crispy plastic like around. We put the fire out. So I think, right? Yeah. And it's pre- but it's still smoky. It's still pretty smoky in there. But again, you know, I'm a kid and I didn't realize like to put a fire out you got to put the fire out. Like you, Yeah, you got to get that soot and everything. You got Even a little dry leaf that still you know has something in there could hits another dry leaf and it just boom again so i didn't know that so i go home i start panicking because my my aunt hasn't come home yet and i still have like i have to do something with these pants i'm just like what am i gonna do with these pants they smell and also they smell like they're smelling now you know yeah you should have burned the pants So i should have burned the pants so i take off my pants and i throw them away i'm just like fuck it I'm I'm done. I put them in a bag. I like triple, quadruple bag them, tie them up, yeah. throw them in my trash. Done. And I and I think I'm like Scott. I'm like Scott free, baby. I'm, I did it. I did it. You know, my first my first real arson. Uh, parents always smell. They smell it and they notice weird trash. No. So that's the thing. Uh, so you got away with it. On gets home an hour or two later that day. There's a knock on the door and it's the fire marshal. <laughs> And you were like, not, it wasn't me. There was a cow. Yeah. First off, do you know, sir, do you know Mel Gibson? I think he started the fire. <laughs> that racist, alcoholic, drunk Mel Gibson? He started it. Him and his goddamn cow. If he didn't start it, he deserved it. Yeah. 
Um, and I think this is where I like learned to keep a straight face. This is where like my first like real like yeah. this is how you lie. This is how you. <laughs> which I feel like is like the basis of my comedy, which is like keep a straight face and makes it funnier. You know what I mean? Like if they believe you, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah. So the guy, like uh, he asked me, he's like, look, um, blah, blah, blah. There's a fire here at this house. You know, um, their backyard is, uh, is destroyed. Like, is like, long story short, look, we're given your name. We already got the kid, the other kid who took part in this. And he said that you took part in this too. And, and then straight face, Jason, 10, 11 year old was like, sir, I have no idea what you're talking about. I came straight home. That's, I don't talk to that guy. He doesn't like me a lot. And so I don't know what he's talking about. And I just give him the most straight faced answer. And he was like, he just shook my hand and he was like, thanks for being honest with me. And like, okay, we're going to go check it out. (laughs) And that's it. And then they left. He immediately rewarded you for lying with a handshake. Yeah. And that's, (laughs) and and that's how I learned as a boy. (laughs) So you guys burn this kid's yard down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other kid got in trouble for it. I didn't. And I, uh, t- to be honest, he, the other kid probably didn't get in trouble either because he would have been like mad at me or like I would have heard of it or what something. What are you going to do? Handcuff a 10 year old? I mean, not, now thinking it back, it's like, yeah, that's exactly what, you know, what are they going to do? There's no, there's no evidence. So you can't. If there's no bodily harm at that age, like if you were a, a kid that hurt another kid, maybe you get sent to of course. juvie. But... but the fact that no one, no one's harmed. Okay. A little patch of your grass in your backyard is messed up. Like. Boys will be boys. The other thing is, you know, a fire marshal is like, yeah, I was into fire too. Yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get it. If anyone gets it, it's me. So he just let me go. And that was the first time that I like got away with a big, well, no, that's not true. Um, and then- <laughs> <laughs> all right, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't get into all your mischievous deeds. Well, my other child, stuff is man. I used to. All we need to know is that you're a liar for life. I used to sign my. My aunt's signature on, uh, this is when I was like in third grade, by the way. This is like third grade. Yep. I used to forge her signature on like, on bad news and stuff like that. Or like bad reports Same, or whatever. Man. Okay. So I got caught one time. I got caught, right? And I remember being in like the teacher's office or the principal's office or whatever. And it was so funny to me that they were making fun of me. Calling me an idiot for thinking that I could get away with this. And in my oh, and wow. in my head, I remember thinking, bitch, this is the hundredth time yeah, I've done yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hundredth <laughs> time I've done it. And that was all And it will not be the last. And it won't be the last. And and I had it in my head and I didn't say anything because obviously it'll get me in trouble. But I was just like I was so I was so like heated because they were they were calling me stupid. They were th- they calling me stupid for thinking yeah. I could get away with it at such a young age. Like you're just a kid. You just you're nothing but a little like dumb kid. Like how could you think you get away with it? And in my head the whole time I was just like, whatever, yo, y'all are the fucking idiots, man. I just I just <laughs> sli- like, I slipped up. You're the idiots, and I'm gonna burn your yard down. <laughs> yeah. And next <laughs> yeah, and the next the next day they didn't they didn't make it home because there wasn't a home. <laughs> the next. The next day, I poured gasoline <laughs> on their car. Yeah, <laughs> me and my dad, Mel Gibson. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the Chicago fire. We did it. We won. Nah, we got to get a little estimation of uh, what the estimation, a little a little summary of what it was. 
1871, the Chicago Fire Department had 185 firefighters with just 17 horse-drawn steam pumpers to protect the entire city. It just has to feel like your place is going to burn down at some point. With that much wood? Well, that much wood and only 17 horse-drawn pumps? Like, they're bringing the water to the fire? An alarm sent from the area near the fire also failed to register at the courthouse where the firemen, fire watchmen were. While the firefighters were tired from having fought numerous small fires in one large fire in the week before. God, if Michael Jordan had been in charge of those firefighters, they would not have been time to be tired. That fire would have been out. These factors combined to turn a small barn fire into a conflagration. If it was, which I think is a big fire. All right, this is the spread of the fire, which I I know a little bit about this, and I I think it's funny. <laughs> you know, other than the, the burning of a whole city, uh, when firefighters <laughs> finally arrived at Decoven Street, I guess it's more of a Murphy's Law thing. Finally arrived at Decoven Street, the fire had grown and spread to neighboring buildings and was progressing toward the central business district. Firefighters had hoped that the south branch of the Chicago River and an area that had previously thoroughly burned would act as a natural fire break. All along the river, however, were lumber yards, warehouses, and coal yards. So just flammable stuff. Uh, And barges and numerous bridges across the river. As the fire grew, the southwest wind intensified and became superheated, causing structures to catch fire from the heat and from burning debris blown by the wind. Okay, now this, I think this is kind of a funny one because it sounds like something from a Simpsons episode or a Looney Tunes cartoon. Okay. Because you already got the coal by the river, the wood, and everything, and the tired firefighters. Around midnight, flaming debris blew across the river and landed on roofs and the south side gas works. Which I assume is like the gas company. Yeah, most definitely. Oh, my God. And I just picture them like, oh, no, it's spreading from the barn. Oh, no, it's spreading to the lumber yard. Oh, no, it's going to the coal factory. Not the gas works. <laughs> I imagine, you know, I, I imagine that little like flick of like uh, ash as like uh, the the feather in Forrest Gump. It's just, yeah, it's just floating to the gas works and then it explodes. It's just like, yeah, it's just, yeah, exactly. It's so slow, so gentle, and then just, yeah, insanity. (laughs) All right, with the fire across the river and moving rapidly toward the heart of the city, panic set in. About this time, the mayor sent messages to nearby towns asking for help. When the courthouse caught fire, he ordered the building to be evacuated and the prisoners jailed in the basement to be released. So on top of that, they're like, free the prisoner. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, At 2.30 a.m. on the 9th, the cupola of the courthouse collapsed, sending the great bell crashing down. Some witnesses reported hearing the sound from a mile away. Okay, this also seems like this is where the Mel Gibson high-budget movie part comes in. Okay, the blockbuster. The block. This is what makes it a blockbuster fire. As more buildings succumbed to the flames, a major contributing factor to the fire spread 
was a meteorological phenomenon known as a fire whirl. As overheated air rises, it comes into contact with cooler air and begins to spin, creating a tornado-like effect. (laughs) So it's like a fire tornado (laughs) is going through the city at this point. That's blockbuster shit yeah, right there. Yeah, that's like ahead of its time because that's like some Michael Bay type shit. Yeah, that's something a screenwriter would say. Like, okay, this is great, gas works, all that's on fire, but can we do a fire tornado? <laughs> and some like budget guy would be like, how are we going to do a fire tornado? Does That doesn't exist. Yeah, the guy's like, what, you want to put it You want to put it in water next? Like, we don't have that kind of budget, okay? <laughs> Why don't we just light the river on fire? <laughs> God, that's insane. These fire whirls are likely what dro- so there were multiple are likely what drove flaming debris so high and so far. Such debris was blown across the main branch of the Chicago River to a rail <laughs> Come on. Okay, this is ridiculous. Such debris was blown across the main branch of the Chicago River to a railroad car carrying kerosene. Perfect. Everything in the 1800s was so flammable. The fire had jumped across the river a second time and was now raging across the city's north side. Also likely a factor in the fire's rapid spread was the amount of flammable waste that had accumulated in the river from years of improper disposal methods used by local industries. Perfect. Uh, It's like, oh, we shouldn't have dumped all that oil in our river. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) God damn, that's terrible, man. Chicago. And uh and then the and then the musical came out too? Oh boy. They <laughs> they just couldn't catch a break. There's still something worse. A short time after the fire jumped the river, a burning piece of timber lodged on the roof of the city's waterworks. Perfect. Within minutes the interior of the building was engulfed in flames and the building was destroyed. With it the city's water mains went dry and the city was helpless. The fire burned unchecked from building to building, block to block. Finally, late into the evening of October 9th, it started to rain, but the fire had already started to burn itself out. That's crazy. The fire was like, I I did my best. I'm tired. <laughs> the fire literally got burnt out. It was just like, yeah, I'm so tired right now. It, hey, this fire could have kept going if it had Jordan motivating it. That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if the Chicago fire was Jordan's teammate, Oh, man, it would have done some damage. (laughs) It would have made its way up to Detroit. Yeah. (laughs) The fire had spread to the sparsely populated areas of the north side, having consumed the densely populated areas thoroughly. All right. Well, that's the fire. We can talk about the aftermath a little bit if you want. It encompassed an area of more than 2,000 acres. Oh, it destroyed an area of about four miles long, averaging three-quarter miles wide. Uh, destroyed more than 73 miles of roads, 120 miles of sidewalks, 2,000 lampposts, 17,500 buildings, and $222 million in property, which was about a third of the city's valuation in 1871. Damn. Whew. That's uh, some expensive uh, meatballs. Of the approximately 324,000 inhabitants of Chicago in 1871, 90,000 Chicago residents, which was one in three, were left homeless. 120 bodies were recovered, but the death toll may have been as high as 300. The county coroner speculated that an accurate count was impossible 
as some victims may have drowned or been incinerated, leaving no remains. Yeah, they were incinerated in fire tornadoes. So Kyle, quick question before we uh, uh, wrap up this pod. What did you learn about Mel Gibson? Uh, I learned he was an alcoholic, took his first drink at 13, and I learned that uh, you think he wasn't as racist as he probably is. (laughs) First off, I didn't say that. I just think he's not as racist as he could be. Uh, Chicago Fire, I learned that it was it was caused by, like, a couple cows gambling and shit. That was the famous painting, Cows Gambling. Yeah. yeah. Cows playing poker. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, uh, painted right before the Chicago Fire in Chicago. It was the only thing to survive the Chicago Fire. That's why it's so famous. <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great new thing that I learned. And the fact that... Um, Fire in hot air plus cold air creates a fire twister. Fire tornado. Big budget fire tornado. Big budget. Yeah. The fact that uh, Mel Gibson directed the Chicago fire with inspiration from Michael Bay. I mean, that's huge. Like, that's just ahead of its time. The timeline is a little sketchy there, but (laughs) pretty accurate. Yeah. I mean, yeah, (laughs) definitely. All right, that does it for the show. Thank you all for listening. If you want to submit to Sexiest Man Alive, you can submit at people.com. As always, music for the episode was provided by Davey and the Chains, and it's called Solid Gold Blues. You can find them on Spotify. Also on Spotify is Jason's other podcast, Good Stuff, with Jason Nunez, and my other podcast, The Roamers Book Club. If you want to email us, You can send us an email to wikiupod at gmail.com. That's wikiupod at gmail.com. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.